Good morning and welcome to Backstory. My name is Noreen Meir and I'm happy to bring to you a brand new season of stories of prominent figures in our community. Now we may know someone for being in public office, but how much of their private lives do we really know? Well, in Backstory, for the next half an hour or so, we will hear the life of Michael Teen, NPC delegate, legislator from the New People's Party, and also the chairman of retail fashion chain G2000 Group. He shares with us that during his formative years in school, he felt like a nobody and was totally lost. His story of being found marks a huge turning point in his life. He also shares who he misses the most and thinks of every day, and it's not his wife. Here is Michael Tin's backstory. My family、uh, took good care of me, and、uh, I'd say I have a very blessed childhood.、Uh, I never have to worry about anything. I'm just very blessed. Yeah. Would you say you were a naughty child, though? Uh, yes. Uh, I wasn't exactly a very、uh, conscientious student. I tend to play a lot. I think I play harder than I work. And、uh, well, that's maybe typical of DBS boys. You know, that's a, that's a sort of a <laughs> particular、uh, trait of DBS boys.、Uh, and I think what is interesting is that that kind of upbringing、uh, somehow uh, I think uh, has a bearing on my ability. These days,、uh, to think out of the box, I think the education system actually affects someone's、uh, way of thinking in later life, in how they see the world and how they approach problems. If you are very conscientious, you study hard. You you are more of a conformist, right? And then you tend to solve the world's problems based on the way you're taught. Uh, if you're naughty and you <laughs> don't have good grades, then basically that means、uh, your mind's、uh, wandering off everywhere, right?、Uh, trying to find your own interest and、uh, do your own sort of self-justification in terms of how you judge things.、Uh, that somehow prepares you for a probably a more out-of-the-box kind of、uh, thinking process. Yeah. Okay.、Definitely. So, so I'm a. I would make a lousy civil servant. <laughs> but a, a very miserably su- lousy civil servant. But a very successful businessman. <laughs> well, no. I, I have to say, I'm not happy. I have not been resourceful and innovative enough as a businessman. Still not enough.、Uh, so you know, there's still a lot to be,、uh, you know. Learn. Well, well, we'll get to your business、uh, later. Let's focus more on, on your childhood. You mentioned just now that you were a bit of a naughty child and you didn't do so well at school, but you were at DBS. That's a great school. Well, that is something I always want to share with young parents today. Is that、uh, although I'm naughty and I didn't do well in school, I tend to be very obedient. So basically, I、uh, let my parents decide where I go to school. And looking back, I was at an environment where I kind of lost myself.、Uh, no matter how hard I try, I cannot excel. All these years at DBS, out of a class of 160 somewhat, I was always ranking about 70, 80, and I always joke around:、uh, if you are the first uh, uh, 
20, the headmaster will remember your name. If you're the last 20, the headmaster will also remember your name because they have to decide whether they keep you in school. The problem was with the broad middle. So you're just a nobody. Nobody remembers you. The headmaster doesn't know your name. And uh, no matter how hard you try, you're kind of right in the middle. Did you feel like a nobody? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, and and uh, frankly, um, this the Chinese uh, saying about, you know, uh, difficulty and challenges will prepare you, not entirely true. Uh, I would subscribe more to the saying that success beats success. All right? The Chinese saying that the failure is the mother of all success takes on actually a different meaning. And uh, my, what, uh, seven years at DBS, I never went on stage once to be recognized for anything because I was a nobody, okay? So that had a huge bearing on me, and that is a result of me uh, being, uh, and of course, uh, I have to say my parents, especially my mother, absolutely did it out of good intentions, right? What, which parent? would want to send their kid to a school where it is uh, at their level or below their level. Every parent today would want to send uh, uh, their child to a school where it's a rich school. Now, the big problem with a rich school is that unless you have a kid that has tremendous drive and motivation, otherwise you risk, you know, having that so-called... Uh, uh, self-identification uh, syndrome. Did you have that? Absolutely. Did you tell your mom that you didn't like your school? Uh, well, she kind of knew. Uh, but then, you know, complaining is one thing. Uh, taking an initiative to leave that school and go to another school where maybe I have a better chance of shining, it's, uh, it's not something that uh, uh, most people would do. How did you so change then, then? In 1960, God actually changed that. That's why I always say glory to God, and I'm very blessed. I think God has was watching me and kind of knew what kind of environment I was in because uh, God didn't put me there. My mother did, right? So in 1967, there were riots in Hong Kong. My mother got scared, shipped me over to uh, U.S. high school uh, for the last year of high school. I was all ready to party because I finished the Hong Kong school cert examination. Uh, so on short notice, she find me a school. Just imagine if there's a school that would accept you without interview in late August for September opening. Uh, what kind of school that would be, right? So anyway, you know, my mother couldn't pronounce the name of that school. Uh, neither could I. We had no idea where it was. Anyway, uh, we found our way there. Uh, she put me into school, and it turns out that uh, it's actually a very mediocre school, as you can see, right, because the admission standard is very low. As a result, uh, me being the same person uh, as a year ago, I ended up ranking third in the class. Uh, there were a lot of sports uh, uh, jockey, you know, um, a lot of these uh, football players, and they were totally impressed with my uh, math, uh, which uh, I guess <laughs> it kind of tells you what kind of level they're at. And what I found surprising is actually there were even some kids who uh, uh, asked me to help in 
the subject of English, which of course gave me tremendous confidence. But of course, in Middle America, you're talking about the suburbs; they really have very, very mixed standards. Okay, so anyway, this is my first lesson in life that if you are a big fish in a small pond, maybe it is much better than a small fish in a big pond. And this is what I always tell young parents today, because in real life, how many people actually remember、uh, where they went to school, what they study, and what kind of correlation、uh, you can see? All right. Uh, so finding an environment where you can excel is very, very important. Of course, if you find a, a, a school where you can、uh, come first in class without doing anything, then it's a different matter. Okay, then it just breeds、uh, complacency, laziness. But、uh, I would not ever go to a rich school, maybe a stretch school. I think it's the perfect,、uh, uh, you know, recommendation. So your self confidence really came from after you moved to America that first year of high that school. That one year is the turning point in my life. And if you think about it, my parents were not behind it. The people who rioted, then then why, why would that happen? So anyway, I have to eventually、uh, give glory to God. It was fate. Yes. How much did it change you as a person, Michael? From from were you quite a shy and not confident person, and then when you moved to the states, you、uh, over that one summer you became a confident person. Yes, very much. And then on my own merit, for the first time in my life, I gone to school where my mother had nothing to do with it. And you did well at university <laughs> because basically、well. my mother helped me in my kindergarten, my primary school, my secondary school, and even this、uh, so called、uh, turning point. Uh, in my life school in the U.S., but then I applied to Cornell, and she, you know, of course, I left home, and she had no idea what I was up to. So the first time I gone to school on my own merit,、uh, I applied to Harvard and Stanford. They rejected me, but I gone to Cornell. I still was very happy. It's a great school. Yeah, it's, a, it's a great school, yeah. and、uh, yeah, I spent four years there.、Uh, came out、uh, actually doing very, very well. I mean, in a school like Cornell, if I had gone directly from DBS, okay, let's say my parents had pulled some strings, all right, trustee or whatever, and、uh, I had gone directly from DBS to Cornell, I think I would have been in trouble. And a different person. That one year of transition really prepared me. That's why they call it prep schools.、Uh, so uh, yeah, gave me a lot of confidence, and eventually I applied to you know Harvard Business School. And talk my way in, and then, and then afterwards, you know, that's uh, that's uh, the end of my you know school life, and then I'm out working. Would you say you had a happy childhood, Michael? Did you did you play with James a lot? Did you have a good relationship with him growing up? Ah,、uh, we have a kind of a funny relationship because、uh, I'm always the、uh, finger pointer, so I go and break all the glasses. And、uh, and somehow I tried to make an excuse that my brother made me do that. <laughs> <laughs> so James actually took a lot, a lot of the、uh, you know the fall for the, you, the, the, the fall for me. <laughs> and of course, two brothers, you know, three and a half years old, we get to fight a lot. But you know, every time get in a fight, right? Which side would the parents be on? Of course, the younger, the younger one, one, right? Of course, the David, not the Goliath, right? <laughs> so, would you say you were spoiled then? 
Yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, I would not, definitely I would not say that my brother actually harbor any uh, sort of bitter feelings towards me. He just thought I was a pain in the ass. <laughs> Were you? You blamed him a lot. I, 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 yeah, I, I have to admit, I, 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 I was. Yeah. Did you look up to him? Uh, and I suppose to your father as well. Like I, you've I, got I, such I, strong role models uh, in your family, including yourself as well. Um, a, a lot of uh, alpha male in, in the family. I, I definitely look up to my parents, definitely. And I also look up to my brother, yes. Uh, I didn't look up to him in terms of his academic achievement. But his, you did better than his him. ability to shrug everything off. I, I took uh, life very seriously. You remember I said I found that I was a nobody. Well, you only feel that if you care, right? And if you try, make an effort, and the results don't come your way, then you would have that kind of feeling. My brother, it's actually very easygoing. I remember the night before exams, I would pull all-nighters. And got myself so tired that when I look at that paper, I can't even remember what I studied. My brother, on the other hand, would go to bed at night, uh, even though he probably <laughs> didn't study much. And then he said, well, there's not much I can do in the, in the last, uh, during the last day. Why bother? So, you know... Uh, I interviewed James for a backstory as well, and he said, out of the two brothers, you're the smarter one. He says you did better than him at school. Definitely, you were smart. definitely not. Really? Uh, the, uh, the one point he's correct that I did better than him, but he is totally incorrect in that I'm smarter. He said you were smarter than no, him. No, I am more hardworking. He's the smarter one. Which area did you grow up in in Hong Kong, Michael? And how has Hong Kong changed in your eyes in the last forty, fifty, sixty years? Mm, huge, huge. Uh, uh, I remember the days where everybody relied on their own. Nobody looks at the mirror and say, why is life so unfair? Why is government not bailing me out? In those days when I grew up, we look after ourselves. You save. You negotiate when you buy an orange. You save every penny. You do not leave anything on your plate at the end of a meal, okay? If you do, you order too much. This is what my mother always taught me, okay? And she always negotiated every time she told me how to buy an orange or an apple. And I used to say to her, we're now pretty well off. These guys are on the streets, you know, it's a hawker. Why do you hassle with her, him, or whatever, whoever? And my mother would say, it's, it's a different thing when I give money to charity to help people, okay? But these people are making a living. By negotiating with these people, you are actually making them competitive. You are helping them to survive. If you just give them whatever they want, they will become lazy. It's very interesting. Wow. It's very <laughs> interesting. Before we talk about your business, Michael, let's go to a song break. I understand you have a song that you brought along, and it is uh, Blowing in the Wind by Bob Dylan. Come on. Yes, actually, I like the version that's sung by Peter, Paul, and Mary. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it's written by Dylan. Ah, okay. We'll, we'll play that song then. Uh, tell us what the song means to you then. Uh, 
even in the old days till today, there were it's the lyrics. Okay, of course the tune is very very nice. The lyrics it says the answer, my friend. Uh, it's blowing in the wind. Uh, the answer is blowing in the wind. And uh, you know when I look back, my my life, um, school days, business. There's always challenges. Today it's politics. All right. Is there really clear cut, black and white, right or wrong? Okay. Uh, we are the answers to a lot of the problems in life, right? I can say it's well. The answer is blowing in the wind. Blowing the wind means uh, it's intangible, all right. And you just have to take a stand, all right. It's not clear cut, and you just stand firm. Uh, there are two lines in there, which I today. Every now and then, I would say to myself and remember. Uh, the first line is, "How many times can a man turn his head, pretending that he just doesn't see?" The other line is, "How many years must one man have before he can hear people cry?" Now,、um, I think it's a trap that's very easy for people elected in the public office, especially by a wide margin, to fall into. Because you tend to not listen to others, okay, and you tend to not see things that you're supposed to see, right? And、um, I just keep reminding myself of that. And actually, as you know, I'm a Christian.、Uh, and uh, uh, if you look at the Old Testament book of Ezekiel,、uh, it says, "The word of the Lord came to me: O mortal, you dwell among the rebellious breed." They have eyes to see but see not, ears to hear but hear not. Okay, so these are th- th- these two lines somehow resonate with me throughout the last so many years. Be it the public, be it my staff, be it my family, right? We all somehow fall into that situation, either because are, we are too convicted on our own belief, or somehow we're too successful. So we get、uh, carried away,、uh, and of course, this song is written、um, uh, during the、um, Vietnam War days. Okay, so a lot of it is targeted towards peace and war, and why politicians who continue、uh, the war、uh, did not listen to the people, did not see things that they're supposed to see, and actually today, if you look at the war, all these conflicts. All right. If you look at the West uh, uh, doing all these bombing raids over the、uh, Islamic community, causing a lot of loss of life,、uh, that to the Islamic community this is totally sort of unrighteous, right? And then they then counter with terrorist attack that caused the loss of also similarly innocent lives in the West, and this thing goes on and on and on and on. And I don't know when it's going to end. So this song is still prevalent today, as it was thirty,、uh, forty years. Yeah, I guess、uh, yeah. many years ago. How many roads must a man walk down before they call him a man? Yeah. 
Michael, let's talk about your business. Uh, you are a very successful businessman. You're, you're very humble, even though you said you need to be more innovative and, and whatnot. Uh, G2000 Group has expanded all across uh, Asia, over 700 outlets, I read. Why do you not see yourself as a successful entrepreneur? No, because currently I'm undergoing the worst season in the last 10 years. <laughs> as I'm being interviewed by you now, <laughs> right? The last year or so has been very, very difficult for us, especially in Hong Kong. Our China business is okay, but the Hong Kong business is really in deep trouble. Uh, the tourists stopped coming. Uh, the local spending is not uh, sort of catching up uh, with the rent, and we are still tied down by the rents that were signed uh, a year or two ago. Yeah, and, uh, and the competition became intense because there's a lot of new entry into the market. Right, so there are sort of uh, forces from all sides. Uh, last night, I spent uh, four hours in the shop with my whole team, which I haven't done in a long time because I got involved with politics. And we look at the product line, we talk to the shop people, uh, and then we we check out competitors, and and then you realize there are many things uh, we've missed. And uh, yeah, it's it's not easy. Did you always want to be a businessman, Michael? Um, I always wanted to be a businessman. I don't know. Never. What did you want to be when you were little? Uh, well, I thought of all kinds of things. Uh, astronautical engineer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, talk, I, th- I thought about being in public office also. Uh, but one thing I never uh, thought of is being a professional. It's just too much hard work. <laughs> well, that you're, takes too long, you're too hard much working. hard work. A- anything that would get me out of school in uh, four years, <laughs> that I like. Then business and politics. I just don't want to stay in school for too long. Well, you, you, you manage just that then. Let's talk about politics then. You, you entered politics in a, in, a, in a real way. You ran for LegCo, district councillor. Um, why did you then decide to become a politician, Michael? I remember, okay, my, in the colonial days, my father was a legislative member. Uh, in those days, he was appointed. And I looked up to him a lot. I thought he was not being selfish. He made enough money to keep us happy, well-fed, and then he contributed to society. And to me, this private-public uh, contribution in life is a very, very good balance. So I always want to involve in a public so that I can use whatever, you know, resources or talent I have to try to make some kind of a contribution. So this idea of an urge to contribute to the welfare of others, not to myself, is something I always have. What I get out of politics is to change the world, you cannot just write uh, uh, papers, okay? You cannot just give speeches. Politics is dirty, but a lot of things... Uh, it takes politics to move, to change the world. You look at global warming, uh, balance between environment and, and uh, economic development, right? All about politics, yeah. all right? So to get yourself heard and be able to influence, you need people's support. So at the end, people's power is everything. Well, final last question, Michael. What do you do for fun? You're a busy man. There's 24 hours a day. You spend a lot of your hours working, coming to do interviews. What do you do for fun? What do you do to relax? Before uh, 16 months ago, my life has uh, 
been probably all business and politics. I love my wife a lot, but we've known each other too long. <laughs> I can't say I think of her every minute of the day. <laughs> but in the last It's so 16, romantic. <laughs> but in the last sixteen months, actually, there are uh, people that I think of few times a day, and those two people are my grandchildren. Course, yeah. And I'm so blessed. Yeah. yeah so now blessed. you know, on a typical day, uh, I try to disappear for 45 minutes, have an hour, maybe when they're filibustering, go kiss the babies, you know, feed them a few uh, candy, and then come back. The joys of being a grandpa. Yeah. So I, I really don't want them to move too far away from Lechko. Yeah. <laughs>